Hi there, welcome to the movies that raise me. This is the podcast where we reflect on the movies that we watched as we grew up and we discuss how they shaped us and what we think of them today in 2020. So we'll be serving up a few hot takes. Yes. So mostly we're looking back at movies from the early 2000s and today Sam and I have picked a movie that we both remember going to see in the cinema very clearly because we went together as a family. Yes, I think it was us, uh, our sister and our dad. I, I don't think our mum was present. No, she, she got out of it. Um, but yeah, uh, and we're doing Scooby-Doo, the 2002 live-action classic adaptation of the um, cartoon franchise, which uh, I don't know if you remember watching the cartoons as well. Yeah, I do. I think I probably would have only wanted to see this film. I thought about this because I remember yeah. going to see it with some level of expectation, even though I do realise I was five <laughs> when I went to see oh, this. Uh, yeah. But Charlotte would have been 10, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what month did it. Do we Do we know? It will be a different release date in the UK, I guess. So yeah, it'll probably be quite hard to work that out. Generally, you're exactly five years younger than me. So I, I strange for me to remember as well that I had a level of expectation. <laughs> so I, I don't know why a five-year-old well, would... But I, I think I knew... Um, I definitely was familiar with the TV series. We definitely watched it on, like, Saturday mornings. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I remember it, and I remember the... So this is something that we can talk about in more depth later. But one of the things that's become apparent to me um, doing some research after, after re-watching the film is that it's very canonistic... Um, because you have this huge franchise started in, I think, the end of the 60s, 69, uh, which is just a year where loads of crazy stuff happened anyway. Um, but what you end up with is this franchise. There's so many different series and manifestations of the gang, the Scooby-Doo gang. You have references to it in pop culture, um, the format, the characters, for example... One of the actors in this movie, Scooby-Doo, from 2002, is Sarah Michelle Gellar, who also famously played Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Indeed. And in Buffy, they nickname themselves the Scooby Gang as a sort of joke. It's almost a cheat that she had this role. <laughs> well, Slightly I... unfair. She, she kind <laughs> of had a, an audition process. Oh, but she's so perfect, though. Yeah, she is, as uh, Daphne. And the director of this movie, I read on IMBD, wanted to get a real couple to play Daphne and Fred. And they they dated before or after this They movie, were dating, they? yeah, just before. Just before, so he got what he wanted. Well, Fred didn't want to do... Sorry, Freddie Prince Jr. to distinguish him from his character in the movie, Fred, who I'm sure is no way a real depiction of um freddie prince jr's actual characteristics but uh yeah he initially didn't want to do it because he thought that fred would be just a bad role for him to play typecast him as an asshole i'm not sure what his <laughs> career trajectory was after this film He's but i can understand why he had those qualms yeah yeah, for sure. And apparently he had to shave his head after filming as well because um, all his... If you, if you haven't seen the movie, the characters are sort of made to look like their comic book counterparts have walked off the page. Bright colours and all. So they all have their own colour. 
So Velma is orange, Shaggy wears green, um, and Daphne wears purple. purple. And Fred wears like white and blue, but he always has some sort of like ascot. Yeah, so he has like cravats and scarves. Yeah, in... and um, also appearing alongside them is oh some interesting CGI work. Uh, scooby-doo i don't know what you thought about that see there being two different visions by the creative team for scooby-doo the character so i i felt almost as if half of the creative team wanted something that looked like a real dog yeah and the other half wanted something that looked like a cartoon and they just got the really bad mix of both i don't know about you and i i did do some research to look up you know 2002 it was a while ago well, you know cgi's obviously come on comparable yeah okay so who else was but lord CGI? of the rings okay uh, i think the first lord of the rings film or maybe the fellowship of the ring actually which has Gollum in right um came out this so that's year the sort in 2002 of level. i mean i should maybe fact check that but i it came out around the same time period right uh so Obviously, it had a bigger budget, uh, Lord Drinks, but... Well, they spent um, $84 million on Scooby-Doo, but it made over well over $200 million, $274 million, something like that. So Was that, like, worldwide, possibly? Yeah, I think so. I think that was the whole thing. Um, and they got commissioned for a second one because of that success. Uh, and I think part of that is down to this sort of very um, aesthetically-minded casting where they've literally just found folk, they found comic book characters and they, they sexed them up. Apart from Shaggy, but that's also great casting. The guy looks just like Shaggy. I think he's the most successful kind Do of you? crossover, Shaggy. Personally. Yes, yeah, I agree. In terms of, I think he does... He's a, a linchpin He's of the, the movie. best executor of taking a cartoon character and bringing it to life. Yeah. And then putting them in... It's still a cartoonish setting, and obviously we're going to talk about the setting and the the mise en scène. <laughs> but the, the him react, Shaggy reacting to kind of that real world uh, environment, I feel like that came across the best for me. Right. Um. I. Uh, That's what would happen if you took, you know, hypothetical Shaggy that you've seen in the cartoon and dropped him wherever they live something about the film actually really reminded me of the i believe it was the 90s film adaptation of the brady bunch yeah oh the very tongue-in-cheek one yes yeah so when i love that movie the brady bunch was a tv series in the 70s right yeah. i believe so the 90s adaptation of it is kind of taking these these very smiley saccharine uh characters uh from the 70s and then placing them in the 1990s environment and showing that juxtaposition and contrast and how they kind of exist in that world as these very cartoonish caricatures. And I felt like that is what I think part of the vision for Scooby-Doo must have been. Right. And some of that is successful. <laughs> and yeah. I think some of it is not because it feels like yeah. at points they forget that that's what they were trying to do. Yeah, so, so we've got um, Freddie Prince Jr. And Prince with a Z, which I... That's how he spells his name. Okay. Was he in films at the time? Yeah. He's in more of a 90s actor, right? I think Late he was 90s. like a kind of Ryan Felipe type. We have Sarah Michelle Gellar, who's obviously... Absolute legend. F legend for Buffy, mainly, yeah. um, which is a cult classic. Yeah. Show, which I th we 
I watched that with you. So yeah. I think I probably was more of a secondhand watcher of that because <laughs> I probably didn't take in. But I have rewatched, like, I've tried to rewatch it and yeah. like, I got into it, but I think it's just such a big series that it's quite a it's quite a big series to commit to when you're an adult and like there's other things to watch and, um, and get involved in that world. It's like you can't just watch Gilmore Girls a hundred times, even though I would love to. I watched all of The Simpsons, every single episode up until whatever was the latest a couple summers ago when I was doing my exams. And like, I purposefully picked it because the episodes are slightly shorter. So you could kind of watch them in between things. But Buffy, you've got to invest in time. Yeah. Every episode, there's like running themes. Exactly. And Uh, reoccurring characters. I would suggest 30 Rock for the same purposes. (laughs) Short episodes, but you're really familiar with the characters. Yeah. And... So you can always just watch that while like you're eating your pasta on your lunch break. <laughs> uh, so Matthew Lillard, sorry, Lillard as uh, Shaggy. Oh, okay. Uh, so I think he is now, uh, he plays Shaggy in the TV series. There's been a few different TV series adaptations, right. but he actually became the voice actor for Shaggy he off the back of this film. He has a great voice for it though. Yeah. He does sound just like him. He does really well in it um as discussed and then oh oh my favorite yeah yeah, so (laughs) my probably my set maybe actually my favorite um actor in it maybe was linda cardellini as velma have you seen freaks and geeks so i actually have never seen freaks and geeks and i feel like it's a show i really should have seen so yeah because everyone like i know has that i respect has has watched it (laughs) i actually first watched it um couple of years ago uh, I think it was 2017 and I was like wow why have I never heard of this before it was um a massive cult classic yeah I think, so and I they only made a limited amount of episodes which is you know like um faulty towers and stuff office, like that UK. the office UK yeah where they they become such a cult classic when they're kind of limited resource but yes yeah, she's fantastic very beautiful, absolutely gorgeous as Velma. The only woman in the film who doesn't look like she's about to die of malnourishment. Yes, that's a good point. And I think she really brings Velma into uh, the 21st yeah. century really well. Like, I've not seen the original TV series. I've seen the 2000s TV series or 90s, whatever was on when I was younger. And um, But I think her bringing, like being this really strong woman who but also does i love how she did get a romantic um (laughs) character um, yeah although you realize he's um he's credited just as velma's friend yeah um which is a bit sad for him he didn't have a character there was nothing to his his only purpose was for velma to speak her you know amazing intellect at while she was um discovering the root of the mystery now let's go into some of the less orthodox castings, okay. maybe, or the more surprising. <laughs> uh, Rowan Atkinson, who obviously is well known, especially yeah, so in the UK. Yeah, so they turn up um, in the movie, and it turns out the there's always a character in the uh, Mystery Gang Inc. Uh, series in the franchise of Scooby Doo who calls the gang up and brings a mystery to their attention and they're like the sort of instigator of the trouble that ensues and he he (laughs) mr bean plays that role in this movie i mean it's classic rowan atkinson right every kid in the cinema would have been laughing at that point just at the sight of him i i it is but at the same time i 
think this was a really underplayed role. Like the oh, way, yeah. yeah, I think it wasn't full on physical comedy, Mr. Bean. And it, I mean, what else? Rowan Atkinson's also known for Blackadder. Yeah, and um, Johnny English. It was actually of probably course. more along the Johnny English lines when I think about it. Not I... quite the slapstick, but just the very kind of buffoonishness of him and Englishness. I don't know. I, I disagree with you here. I I was really underwhelmed by him. Oh, really underwhelmed. Even I, his Saddam Hussein moment at the end. Actually, we'll talk about that. Yeah, but I... <laughs> okay, we'll talk about that later, but personally, I was just really underwhelmed by his performance. I felt like he I was think there he to get a paycheck. what he could with the materials he was presented with. He was there doing doing... Doing the best he could. Also, I mean, he was at a great disadvantage because everyone he was playing against had lots of canon yeah, um, from the original true. TV series to Very riff true. off. Yeah. I'm, he just had the, the script of this film, which probably doesn't leave much uh, room to do much with. So, I think yeah. he did a good job playing a eccentric uh, theme park owner. Yeah. And then uh, the last person I think we'll mention is... Isla Fisher, who is um, a she's a British actress, and she plays Mary Jane in which she yet yeah, well, she's not actually uh, she was born in Oman to Scottish parents. So oh right, I don't know. She what was a revelation her, for me. Her national identity she's is. We'd so have to ask her. Yes, um, her American accent I thought was actually a bit rusty. I don't. <laughs> Which, I didn't know she was an American, so I didn't think about it. I, I thought it was like, when I watched it and didn't realise it was Isla Fisher, I thought that it was like a, definitely a really put on, like, kind of Californian uh, Valley Girl Yeah, accent. no, that's and, what I was getting. That Those were the vibes I was... Because I don't really I get s- where the, the movie is set. Um, it's kind of like yes. a non-place. Right. So the movie is... First, we're introduced to a classic uh, romp. It's a very Scooby-Doo cartoon scene um, where there's a villain in a kind of ghostly outfit. Somehow they've got they've got Daphne under their arm. She she tells us she's got a wedgie because she's you know the damsel in distress. Thelma and Fred trying to solve it, and as a classic sort of Scooby-Doo moment, Scooby and Shaggy in pursuit of food probably end up tackling the ghost in a really slapstick slapstick obstacle course of hilarity yes and then we have a cameo from <laughs> pamela anderson <laughs> at the very end of that scene uh she's not seen in the rest of she doesn't turn up again no um pam pam just did that kind of 30 seconds but i mean i'm sure she was paid well and or even if she wasn't she looked to be having a great time and i feel like she did Shoehorn some kind of vegetarianism or something in there, something ethical that she was concerned about. So we're this is kind of set up as the point where the uh, the mystery incorporated gang uh, is that their official title? <laughs> is it? It's something like that. Yeah, Mystery Inc. Maybe. It mystery. And they're Inc. the gang. Yeah, they're the gang. They decide to part ways. Uh, so this kind of sets up the first piece of tension in the film. Well, it's a very important moment, and and it's a handy device from the filmmakers because they're able to, through the argument, tell us very quickly what each person's role in the group is. So, for example, Velma's having a bit of, bre- of a breakdown because she feels like she's just the nerdy one that no one cares about. 
Um, turns out there's a running joke that Fred and Daphne, when they split up to go search in the cartoon, always go to the van and right. uh, uh, distract we'll themselves. Yeah. To the um, imagination. <laughs> but that's sort of like played fun in this scene as well. And they, they have this sort of strange, weird sexual tension throughout the movie, actually. Um, that's never fully kind of resolved or explained. There's also this running joke that Daphne always gets kidnapped. Yeah. Um, so that kind of sets up that she may be the more vulnerable one of the group when they go to this band, which... Well, there's that and the fact that she honestly has the body of a 12-year-old child. Yeah. I don't mean to hate on her, no. To be honest, it was actually really nostalgic to see how... Like 2000 and thin everyone was, <laughs> apart from obviously the beautiful, voluptuous Velma who looks just cracking. But it really like reminded me of that time when that was literally in your face as the ideal. And I'm not saying it was necessarily a bad thing because I know Sarah Michelle Gellar is in like amazing shape and she was... You know, she had to kill those vampires. Exactly, exactly. And Buffy, like she was absolute goals, but you know, not everybody is going to be able to walk around looking like that. Um, but it definitely felt in that time that that's sort of what was expected of yes. you. That said, amazing outfit choices for her throughout the film, I thought. Mm, I agree. But we also get introduced to the idea that Fred is arrogant and uh, is always taking the credit for, I mean, mainly Velma's work, but yeah. I guess everyone's. So, the, yeah, because the gang kind of operates as a whole. Everybody has a part. Even of Shaggy and Scooby, they even send that up in the film at one point by saying, Shaggy and Scooby, you do what you do, because nobody knows what they actually do. But they always just get into a scrape that ends up revealing the uh, villain. Scooby and Shaggy, I feel like although they don't have an official purpose like the other characters, <laughs> just kind of by their own uh, curiosity and their own stupidity often, um, they do stumble across like the clues or the thing that leads them to the answer. Exactly. So they 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 do serve a purpose, even if no one can really define what it is. And I really think they serve a particular purpose in this movie, but we'll we'll get back to that as we as we talk about how the plot unfolds. Because yeah, so we are introduced to them at this point where they decide to break up. Yeah. Um, it's very emotional, it's very sad, and, and Scooby and Shaggy can't last men standing, aren't they? They're like, no, let's let's stay together, they're the only ones who want to stay together. And they, they do stay together, those two. Yeah, yeah, and that's, <laughs> so we get a, uh, what is it, two years later, um, sort of uh, quick flash forward, and <laughs> so Scooby-Doo and Shaggy say, let's do what we do best or something, and then you get a really kind of, uh, what's the word, marijuana-themed song. Oh, so it's past, <laughs> is it past, past the doofy? But it sounds like they've changed the words. I think, I actually did write this down. Yeah. So, because it was I think it's like past the doobie to the left-hand side, pass it to the right-hand side. And with that kind of... Um, it's past the douchey. Douchey. The douchey. I'm pretty sure that's what I wrote down, and that's that's. But maybe something. they made a clean version. I think they must have. I don't think they would have. It's douchey, like D U T C H I E. Yeah, I don't know what a douchey is. By Bucko Nine. Well, you learn something new every day. Um, I say past the douchey on the left hand side, past the douchey on the left hand side. It's a gonna burn. Give me music, make me jump. 
and plants. Yeah, okay. I don't want to get infringed any copyright. Right. <laughs> but, so, okay, so that's the music. So with this kind of sonographic um, nostalgia, like, uh, not nostalgia. Um, innuendo. Innuendo, exactly. We see this sort of smoke coming out of the band. Any person in their right mind would think, the song plus the smoke, those guys are hotboxing the van, the crazy guys. I don't. One thing I will say is I don't think five-year-old me would have even... This would have even crossed no, my mind. No, it's a joke for the adults, isn't and it? And I think that is something about the film is that it, it is obviously written for an intergenerational audience because yeah. you, you have the people who watched the original one, which came out in the 60s, 70s, also a time famous for massive marijuana consumption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and uh, Shaggy is so obviously a, a hippie of the time, right? Even the way he speaks. And then the twist... <laughs> the twist is that they da, da, da. are not passing the doobie. They are uh, cooking eggplant burgers. Grilling aubergines. So, grilling aubergine. Um, also, in, in America, they have to call those eggplant burgers. Not, <laughs> not vegetables. Sorry, yeah. Eggplant. So, they're, they're, they've got the eggplant burgers. And, and that kind of introduces a theme, which I find a bit interesting, that Shaggy is a vegetarian. Do you know the background behind this? Okay, me too. Um, would you like to tell us? You tell, you okay, tell. Okay, so the original actor of Shaggy, um, I don't know if you know his name. But I can't remember. I'm I can't, so sorry, yeah. original Shaggy. So original Shaggy, he, after the first series of the original Scooby-Doo cartoon, the actor himself became vegetarian. And then he told the writers, Charlotte's looking at me like she knows a slightly different story. No, 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 it's oh, the same okay. story, same story. Um, he told the writers that he would only continue playing the oh, role. Oh, no, it is different. So what okay. I heard was that, yeah, they made him a vegetarian like in the TV show because he wanted to be. But then they had to do an advert for like Burger King or something. And he refused to voice the advert and then ended up leaving the show because they got someone else in to do the advert. And then he came back years later and, the, and Shaggy reverted to his vegetarianism. But they stuck true to that in the film, which was another sort of canonistic nod. Like one of the things that I actually have enjoyed about this movie because I'm not going to lie to you guys the, when I first rewatched it I was a bit confused first it feels as though a lot less happens than you remember is or this the first time you watched it since you watched it in the cinema no I think. okay yeah I've definitely watched it again I think but still probably not since I was I feel like it younger. used to be on TV quite yeah. a lot like ITV2 or something yeah like it yeah. used to just be playing <laughs> yeah, so like I've seen it enough times, but yeah, and this, the plot is far more simplistic than I recalled. Ha that said, I think on reflection that actually works well and is a a device that allows the simplicity of the plot means that you fill the rest in in your memory. And so I was listening to a critique of this film on a podcast, which I'll include the link to to uh, say thank you for their research. Um, but they were saying that it's quite um, a psychological uh, Trump Doyle that we sort of play on ourselves in that nostalgia for this type of thing and, and a movie made like this is actually really mimetic because it is taking these tropes and sort of repeating them. But actually, a lot of those things never happened all at the same time together. It's like, very canonistic but actually looking back to something that never really existed because 
although these tropes occurred, there were so many different incantations of this franchise. They weren't necessarily all played out at the same time. It's almost like everyone remembers their Scooby-Doo slightly differently. Yeah. And in a way, this film allows each person with their different memory to project that onto these characters. Exactly. So I actually, on reflection, think it's... (laughs) I mean, look, it's not a plot that is going to challenge anyone intellectually, apart from maybe... You're scratching your head at some it of the holes. It doesn't really make sense. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it don't, I wouldn't say it challenged me on an intellectual level, no. but it did challenge me on a logic <laughs> level. But that's, I do think you're meant to not apply logic, and they hope to get away with that for the fact that it's a bit of a send-up. It's like carry-on Scooby-Doo. Yeah. And it, you could argue that they are taking the piss out of the fact that a lot of the cartoon plots probably didn't hold up. Right, and so this is... I guess we can talk about this now. We'll talk a bit more about the movie in a second, but it um, was originally supposed to be a quite raunchy um, taking the Mick movie. More like the Brady Bunch, maybe. There exists an R-rated version that no one will ever see, but that was originally how the movie was pitched, and then they changed it, re-edited it to make more money. Do you not think... So when I was watching this film, I could something about it just i could tell that there had been so many different versions of this film so many deleted scenes because there's There's a scene when velma and okay so let's carry on with the plot and then i'll tell you what scene was deleted yeah so um so we go on and then they've they've come basically they've all the gang split up and then a guy turns up at scooby and shaggy's van inviting them to a mystery spooky island spooky islands um and some Describe what you think Spooky Island is. Before or after I've seen it? So when... When they get there. Right. Well, I suppose they take a plane ride and they all sort of reunite at the airport. And so they're on a plane which... Oh, gosh. That was a very nostalgic... Okay, does anybody remember scenes on airplanes when you were younger and you thought, God, an airplane looks like the funnest place and there's always crazy stuff happening And let's just say this was definitely... Film pre nine eleven. Oh yeah, it was released post nine eleven, but they would not have shown that scene if that film um, had been. They wouldn't have even filmed that scene if nine eleven had happened. Yeah, so it kind of gave me a flashback to this time pre nine eleven where airplane scenes used to be fun. Like, and every person I'm sure my age when they were waiting to get on their first flight was expecting a party on the plane. And to be fair, the first time I flew with just friends. When I was 18, on my way to Cavos, it was genuinely a party plane. But any other experience I've had since before and since then, it has not lived up to the expectation that this film set me. And can I just say, when you're on a plane and some people are trying to make it a party plane, that's not a fun experience either. (laughs) Everybody on the plane, can I just say, was consenting to the party atmosphere because it was... An organised group holiday. Saying try <laughs> getting on a flight to Prague on a yeah. Friday night by yourself. I did that. <laughs> because I lived there, not yeah, just... Yeah, yeah. I wasn't going to Prague by myself for a holiday, but <laughs> there was many a stag do. I was also going to say that, yeah, that plane was, I'm pretty sure, a plane specifically for the island. Yes. So they were yeah. all going like that it was, was like the Spooky Island plane. Express. Spooky Island. Uh, Spooky Island Airways. They have a whole franchise. <laughs> they have. I, I don't know what other products. Mr. Medavarius, the owner of the island, is a, is a, a very um, 
Smart businessman. Yeah, a magnet. <laughs> He's a magnate of uh, a magnate, what? That's the word. <laughs> Filmed, uh, arcade franchises. I don't know what you would. It's basically it's, if Disneyland was on its own island. It's like a massive tiki bar. Yeah. So in um, <laughs> I went to university in Bristol and we had a club which I think there's a few, I think it's a chain club called Lola Lows. <laughs> which is a tiki bar themed student club <coughs> right. and it kind of reminded me of like a massive version of that but then also with these weird horror like castles which were apparently part of it and then yeah they also, weren't really with the tiki decor whatever. also voodoo stuff which <laughs> let's voodoo just maestro. Honest, voodoo <laughs> isn't the same thing as like voodoo <laughs> that i don't think is from hawaii it's like a creole thing or an african thing like that is just they're not meant to be the same thing but i guess it's i mean even if it's not politically correct or or if it just doesn't make sense many theme parks have this kind of postmodern environment where you have all these different things placed next to each other and they're all meant to be of the same world right so they create a new reality so as, as soon as you step on spooky island it doesn't matter what comes your way like you've you've suspended disbelief because you're on spooky island However, Spooky Island seems to be designed, what, for college kids? Spring break. Spring break. Yeah, that's the vibe I was getting, very spring break vibe. So it's like Chessington World of Adventures, <laughs> but also mixed with, like, Cavos. <laughs> so, yeah, I went to... Some um, kind of party island. I went <laughs> to a private island in Abu Dhabi, right? And they had the tiki huts and stuff, and, like, the pools and the alcohol, but... We don't really see any alcohol in this movie, to be fair, but I think it's heavily implied. A they're bit drinking like, marijuana. like cocktails. Or yeah, they're clearly drinking like alcohol skull glasses, some kind of punch. Um, and then later on, they're drinking some kind of Kool-Aid. As I know Velma are. definitely gets drunk. Yeah. There's that bit where she's at the bar with yeah, the guy. Yeah, she has um, like a whiskey or something, doesn't she? Yeah. And the guy's like, nice sweater. It's on the house. <laughs> yeah, which is just another kind of... Anyway, so yeah, so, so we get to t- Tiki Island. We get spooky spooky island for spring break or whatever and mr madavarius is there to greet everybody um and like i said initially you would think mr bean but yes as sam points out it's it's a less less slapstick role probably less nuanced i did also read that i didn't say this when we were discussing the actors but rowan atkinson didn't really want to do this movie and (laughs) you couldn't tell well i mean but it it has actually been documented And he, the director had to go through like all of the characters' motivations and stuff with Rowan Atkinson because he just really didn't understand this character. <laughs> um, I mean, who can blame him? But then I think Rowan Atkinson is used to writing a lot of his own stuff and like he's part of the creative process. But I he honestly just was think very detached that he said, that. I will do it, but only if you pay me loads of money and go on the record saying that I made you go through the character's motivations. Mm. Yes. Just putting it out there. There is an interesting point that maybe we, we won't want to talk about the reveal at the end yet, yeah. but that I did think once we know the reveal that makes more sense yeah. to his character at the exactly. beginning. Yeah, he, he has the, the get-out-of-jail-free card. Yeah, but then we, we meet him and yeah. he tells us, that there is something strange going on the island. So the kids are arriving, like, they're rowdy college kids. It's who, lit on the way in. Yeah, they're, they're there, like, they, they just want to turn They're ready to get turned up. up, yeah. And 
<laughs> one of these. They're all dressed like, oh, classic, classic outfits. Um, the band Sugar Ray makes an appearance in this film, and if you can imagine what they would be wearing, so they're sort of... Did you have any of these? Like... Double T-shirts. Like soul curls. Yeah, so like a T-shirt, but then there's different coloured sleeves underneath the T-shirt. And I could never tell if people had two T-shirts on or if the extra sleeves were sewn in. It's also like... And like the cargo pants. The um, You know those like black T-shirts with flames on? Yeah, I don't know yeah, if, the, any of, yeah, yeah. if any of those are worn in the film, but it was definitely that kind of era. Yeah, and this guy... It's like surfer Yeah, culture. so we see um, this guy, he's got this like spiked up, gelled up hair. And he runs up to some some girl and is like, oh, it's me, Brad. Like, yo, what's up? <laughs> some kind of terrible banter. And this girl has got no banter whatsoever. She's just straight-faced. They clearly know each other, but she doesn't even recognize Brad. And he's, you know, his hairstyle is enough to remember him by. Mm. So something's clearly up. Is she just really hungover? Are they on a come down? That's what kind of questions I was asking as I watched this. Uh, you know, it's not that weird. They've come here really happy and then got wrecked in Spooky Island. Yeah, it doesn't give you superhuman strength, though. So then <laughs> she, she picks Brad up and throws him in the sea and then he's gone forever, basically. We never see him again anyway in the movie. Poor Brad. But it, it demonstrates uh, Mr. Madavarius's <laughs> concern. Very conveniently, as he tells them oh there's this strange thing happening then it just demonstrates to us the audience and the gang so it's useful how that happens well yes yeah, a little bit like the um, the scene at the beginning when they argued and pointed out all their kind of characteristics to each other so that is the other thing is that they've all come back together and now then they're still wary about <laughs> this setup like they yeah, don't necessarily they don't necessarily feel 100% back in the gang. And Fred, Fred's had a successful time. He's been, uh, he's written a book, Fred on Fred. Yes. With two pictures um, of himself, for the, well, of his face <laughs> on the cover. And we've got Velma, who has been working for NASA. It kind of sounded like she'd been designing weapons for the American government. Yes. I did think twice about Velma when I heard that, but I'm sure she's got a good motive. Hmm. I mean... They did think that there were nuclear weapons of mass destruction at this point. So yeah, true, yeah, true. She true. was she was believing George. So is this meant to be set in two thousand and two? I don't know. Okay. Maybe, maybe I think I'm reading into this. I don't think it's a George Bush reference. Um, I would I would say about that whole setup. I felt like I would have liked more. Of them doing their own individual things. Yeah. Um, because you just kind of, you get told it, like you don't get shown it and you just. But you do really, get shown it. But very. Throughout the movie. Yes, but I. I it's th- basically a way to explain all their strange behavior, like the fact that Daphne's suddenly superhumanly strong. Although, in the cartoons originally, apparently she was a black belt and she was the one who beat up the villains most of the time. So. Right. That's what I'm saying about this movie kind of oscillates between being really kind of canonistic and referential to and reverential to the cartoons, but also completely taking the mickey out of them at, at exactly the same time. But it's not consistent no. in what it's choosing exactly, to do. Exactly, exactly. That's, <laughs> I think, honestly, one of the things that threw me off so much until I learned more about it. Um, so, right, well, on Spooky Island, there's a mystery to be solved. There's... It's, the island doesn't look small. 
is 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 a big place. So how are they getting around? Because they seem to be all over the island. Mm. So so uh, I think they split up in their separate ways, and they decide that they're all too stubborn and pig-headed, and they're going to solve the mystery themselves individually. Which you know, apart from Shaggy and Scooby, who are like, "Come on, guys, let's stay together." Of course, because Shaggy meets his love interest on the plane, and she just happens to also like to eat dog treats. Yeah, because they're vegetarian, which I don't know why they would design dog treats which didn't have any meat in. Uh, This is another point at which I'm like, I'm sure this movie just knows that this is stupid. Yeah. I don't know. And her name (laughs) is Mary Jane, which is one of Shaggy's favourite names. So we've got another marijuana. (laughs) It won't be the last. I, I kind of wish there were more. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird because it's like they sort of dip their toe in it and then always like, ha, no, he's just, he's not so known. You're kind of rooting for him to be one, aren't you? Did you come across in your research that when they went to get this film rated, so I think it's a PG, yeah. parental guidance. Um, <laughs> so my dad had to take us. Exactly. Um, when they showed uh, this to the ratings people board, they originally kept a scene in where um, Velma and Daphne had a whole like makeout scene, yeah. and apparently they do that often to kind of throw off the rating board. Um, so then they don't comment as much on the like marijuana references because they're like, oh no, we have to get rid of that lesbian kiss scene. Um, oh. So they did that purposely to right. Kind of well, I was going to talk about that later, yeah, yeah, because of this whole um, R-rated version that exists out there. So yeah, maybe there's a few different kind of uh, theories about this film, or yeah. like versions of what actually happened. Yeah, it I think like so. Yeah. I think so. And I honestly, like, I, like I say, when I first watched it, but as I thought about it more, I'm, I'm actually quite into it. Sort of slapdash, uh, jumbled together. I think in a way it really does recreate the cartoon quite well because Mm. it's so ridiculous. Yes. I don't know. We'll see. Let's talk more about it. So they're they're loose on Spooky Island and they're all trying to solve the mystery. And uh, in quite a... Oh, God, this scene. So Daphne finds her way onto the beach like any good kind of valley girl would. And she beats a man who is credited, this character is credited as... Voodoo Maestro? Yes. And he is the only black person in the film, I think. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Uh, with any lines. And he doesn't have, isn't given a name. No. And it's not clear whether he actually practices voodoo or just, you know, has an interesting method for uh, spatchcocking a chicken. Right. Um, <laughs> That's one thing that really threw me about this film is were these different characters they met, were they meant to be like people that worked at the... (laughs) Like, were they meant to be like when you meet Mickey at Disneyland? Like princesses, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, like, were they... Are they like constantly at performing? Well, because the one that Velma meets is, of course, Nagoo. Right. Who is a kind of um, conspiracy theorist that thinks... uh, there's demons who were disturbed when Spooky Island became a uh, spring break destination. So I guess, you know, like they're really fighting the gentrification, him and his crew, who has got like a mob of wrestlers that seem to surround him. Um, and he's 
like a lot of this film, it's very campy. And I think that's one of the things I did also enjoy about the film is it's super campy. It's like nothing is serious. Everything is amped up. And so as is his um, show, which Velma, of course, genius that she is, cleverly dissects and goes full Sherlock on him. And so he's another strange character hanging around Spooky Island. And one must wonder, like you say, what they're all doing there. I feel a bit like Voodoo Maestro might have just been living on that beach and then the, the theme park got built up around him. Because we don't know the time. Mm. How quickly was this theme park erected? Like, how new is it? It all looks quite new. I've seen more run-down places. Cavos. <laughs> Chessington. Chessington. <laughs> yeah, and... I mean, surely the 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 corruption of the young people hasn't been going on too long either, no. because it would have hit, you know, the hit the news. The Daily Mail would be all over that. So also, so there's a lot of unanswered questions yeah. about this world that we're introduced. <laughs> well, like I think, given the reveal, it might have have been put there very recently. Yeah. And it, so this guy's probably just fuming that he had this prime real estate on the beach, and now. There's all these weird kids and they're either completely drunk or, like, um, Hitler Youth. Maybe it was, like, the original Fire Festival. I, yeah, I think he could have been a pioneer of Fire Fest. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was, yeah, prime retail estate, which is now uh, basically a place for kids to get drunk. Yeah, so. yeah. and But he does do one thing for me, which is delivers one of my favourite put-downs in the film, which is when he tells Daphne that purple is a fall colour and it's the middle of May. Yes. And she's obviously hedged toe in purple, um, which I thought was good fashion advice, to be honest. That said, I just loved... I've been feeling a Daphne vibe. I'm going to be in purple all week next week at work. Like, <laughs> you know? Come back. Yeah, it's like after I watch Legally Blonde. Yeah, so every week, <laughs> this is going to embody the one of the protagonists. People surely won't question that behaviour. I think purple is such a um, like late nineties, early eighties yeah. colour, like for fashion. Yeah, um, I think it is. I it is time for it to make a comeback. And I, well, I predict there will be a, a comeback in a big way, and it's probably good good that you and I have been watching these movies. But anyway, um, Scooby is in the bar. Um, that's where he's ended up, obviously looking for food. And I think this is about the time when one of my favourite jokes... <laughs> so that was my favourite put-down about the purple. This is one of my favourite um, jokes in the movie. Is the bartender says... He gets a call and says, Is there a Mr. Do? And some guy stands up and says, Melvin, Melvin Do? <laughs> and he's just some mic dork on the island. Well, he actually looks like he's having a great time. I don't think he's been brainwashed or or um, reprogrammed yet. So, uh, <laughs> of course, the, the barman says, no, Scooby. So then, of course, feasibly, a massive Great Dane comes and answers the phone and is told to go directly to the castle for as many Scooby snacks as he can eat, um, which is an offer. I mean, did you know they're vegetarian? Maybe Scooby's a vegetarian. He no, knows. he's not. I, no. I purposefully watched to see if he was as well. Oh, but he eats the hamburgers. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I'm not going to do it. But um, Scooby does also have an unfortunate... 
What is the speech impediment? I don't or even know. I I I I don't even know if it was that consistent in this film. It was just a lot of ah. He says ah in front of everything. Ruby, Ruby, do. Over girl. Um, I can't even do ry- it. Rydroclonic instead yeah. of hydroclonic. That's just one word that he can say as a dog, apparently. Rural. <laughs> Ramburgers. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, so, Scooby is off. Um, the voodoo man also t- tells Daphne, voodoo maestro tells Daphne not to go into the castle, which she geniusly reinterprets <laughs> as a clever ploy to make her go to the castle, which I think, again, is a play on how ridiculous the original cartoon was because many times it would be like, but what if he told us to go to the castle? Because, do you know what I mean? It's like... It's also like those cartoonish characters reacting to a real world setting. That's what I found really funny about the voodoo maestro is that he gave a foil to her ridiculous character in that moment. And that's when you feel like you're in on the joke. Like, you and some of these other characters are in on the joke on the mystery gang. Yes. There is also a trope, I feel, uh, in cinema of, like, the black kind of spiritual guide. Yeah. And I don't know if... No, I know. ...that was coming into it as well with the single... Like, oh, you know, he's so spiritual, he must be so sage and wise, or just providing that... But potentially they're kind of mimicking that a little bit. Yeah. That this voodoo character is going to have this like secret well knowledge. yeah that he's gonna have the answer but really he doesn't know anything yeah yeah and his chicken is dead the one he's trying to sacrifice so it's sort of like he's a bit ridiculous as well yeah I maybe just he's think... just practicing for a show like there are so many theories you could go on about voodoo Maestro are you because... just think the whole island is like this postmodern kind of world yeah. where all these different like very unconnected things are just thrown together that's what i think about this movie yeah in the way that it tried to um, produce a fully consistent uh, version of Scooby-Doo and the gang and Mystery Inc. from what is a bit of a mishmash of a, a canon, you know. Uh, so I thought it was very, yeah, the the character Voodoo Maestro definitely opens up more questions than he answers. But he does helpfully if accidentally, send Daphne to the castle where Scooby and Shaggy are. Uh, well, Sh- Scooby is, right? I don't know. I can't remember because Scabby... Scabby. Shaggy. Scabies. Scabies. He definitely probably has them. He just sleeps next to a dog the whole time. Um, Scoob- uh, Shaggy is still enamoured with his paramour, Mary Jane, um, and he wins her a little uh, disgusting shrunken head toy from the uh, grabby machine. Um, And so he loses Scooby and heads up to the castle to find him. And this is where I think that Scooby and Shaggy provide quite an essential part of the way this film works, is that even though everyone else hates each other, they're like this neutral party that can move from each group to each group, kind of everyone engaging with them. So they, through their eyes we really get to see more of what the others are thinking because they don't want to tell each other their amazing plans, which none of them have when they enter Creepy Castle. Um, So they're in the Creepy Castle, and it it genuinely is, like, terrifying. Like, the ride has full elements that could kill you. Do you think you were scared of this world, this castle, when you first watched it? 
I reckon there were a few jump out your seat moments, but yeah. I don't think, I think the whole time I knew it was, why were you scared? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I was just trying to think if I was scared. It was well. very slapstick. Yeah. But know. I feel like you, uh, some kids may be scared by it. It's, but then I, The monsters are quite scary. The monsters can be scary. And even in the cartoon, sometimes the monsters themselves could be scary, but you always knew that they're going to be someone with a mask on. Yeah. Um, which is something that's subverted in this film. Uh, with the monsters um, as we come to know them because in fact the mask is their human mask in order to hide themselves so we're in the castle and Velma and Fred discover what they assume to be brainwashing materials this was my favourite part of the yeah, film yeah. I think because um, it's like so it's an instructional video that they watch on American teenagers so I assume so this is an instructional an instructional video for the demons, right? So that to to learn yeah. how to live as an American teen, or like how to present themselves as an American teen when they yeah. possess their body. Because another, we should have mentioned another thing that's going on at this time is that Scooby has been seeing these demons around, yeah. but nobody believes him, obviously, because he's a giant talking dog. Continue. But it reminded me of um, like one of those anti-drug videos yeah. that they show Just you in no. secondary <laughs> school. Yeah. Um, Word. What's up, Madizzle? Like that's actually how they're instructing the demons to talk, and clearly, some of them got better training than others, as it turns out. Right. Exactly. Which is odd. <laughs> but it it did make me laugh how it was like these uh this non-human species um how they kind of interpreted American <laughs> teenagers and the language they used. I mean, a lot of that slang the slang was out of date at the time which is funny but it, i guess that joke maybe didn't land as much because it was hard to remember what the language used by american teenagers was in 2002 i think it definitely wasn't the language the, no. the aliens are using but i think it was close enough or like that wasn't that might have been like the 90s language yeah. so it's quite funny to be like oh you're behind but yeah it's very funny because they show them a it's kind of like a how to, what not to do guide. So that the first scenario is like, as if you are a demon, a guy bumps into you at a party, knocks over your drink, and you say, I will crush your bones or something <laughs> and try and kill them. Uh, when, you know, what you're actually supposed to say is, no worries, my brother. And then Keep it real. <laughs> somehow Velma watches this and goes, it's a brainwashing video. <laughs> now... How she... Oh, no, it's a brainwashing... Um, Centre. Centre. Facility, yeah. So somehow Velma watches this and knows that this is a brainwashing facility, which is a bit of a, a jump, I found. I think it's a nod to um, satanic panic and cult panic of the 60s and 70s, which, of course, is when Scooby-Doo itself is set. And one of the theories, the conspiracy theories about the show delves into that. We'll talk about that in that section. But I think... Uh, canonical Velma would have been very aware of true crime and cults because she's smart, you know, this sort of thing happens. And that's where I think she was going. That said, that's all conjecture because she never said any of that. That's true. We kind of, that's what you're saying about projecting exactly. our own versions of these characters. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, it allows you to think through the scenario in the most logical way because that's what your brain does. When in reality, it, like you say, makes no sense. <laughs> so, 
So they think they've discovered that, and there's this um, little person running around. So that, though I swear, 90s, noughties movie is complete without that kind of comic relief. Angry dwarf. Yeah, it's such a trope to be like, oh, oh, they're small but fast. Like, I think it's because of that Jerry Springer fight, if you remember that. It's an awful moment in American culture and human history, but people... Always angry. Yeah. Always angry. Would, would bring people onto these shows and, and deliberately orchestrate situations so that everybody could laugh about it. And for me, that was like, oh, God. It took me back to that time when you could just do that and you would have known there'd be laughs in the cinema just because of the uh, reference, um, which I don't think you would see now. So, yeah, there's a kind of demonic dwarf, shall we say, running around this out-of-order um, out ride. And even though the, the ride's out of order, it's still really dangerous. So they, they, they end up getting away by hiding in uh, oh <laughs> a diorama kind of thing. Yeah. You know, like models of, of knights uh, in armour and stuff. Which is quite funny because earlier Shaggy says he does not want to go in the castle. Particularly because castles have, you know, knights of armour that move and paintings that follow you with their eyes. Which is exactly what they find in the castle um but yeah so daphne manages to find a a, a triangle shaped um kind of oh i don't know what would you call it i mean it? it's like a four shaped pyramid it's kind of like an aztec pyramid yeah yeah like a miniature version yeah it's like a little mini pyramid thing yeah um and so it's so like a quad pyramid it <laughs> looks like those things that you used to do when you were younger I uh, can't remember what they were called, but you'd like go one, two, you'd have a piece of paper and fold oh, yeah. it and into it'd be like, like you're going to live in a mansion <laughs> and have a blonde husband. Yeah. <laughs> um, it kind of made me think of that um, when, when Velma gets it open. Um, so yes, Or a bit like an Indiana Jones prop. Yes. You know? but no, it, that scene was really Indiana Jones or like Great Escape of Mission Impossible, whatever, where Daphne just made it out with a second to spare, um, escaping from a giant uh, pyramidal cage, which I'm sure wouldn't have been fun to be stuck in. Um, so then they go back to the island. Have we had... Sorry, I, I don't want to skip over the fart scene. Have we... I mean, if you do suspend disbelief enough, it's sort of a bit like the game of bogeys. When I first heard about it, I was like, ugh, that's gross. But actually, As in really... shouting bogeys. But actually, it's really fun to play because of like having to shout bogeys so loud in public. And I felt like that a little bit with their fart game, except that it's disgusting. And if it were real, I'd be like, they need to go to the doctor immediately. Yeah. And poor Daphne had to walk in on that. But I think that at the time, that genuinely, I've seen some stuff on Reddit, <laughs> if you believe it, that says, that was their favourite bit of the film. Yeah, that's because you're the on The farting Reddit. scene is the moment where cinematic experiences hit their peak. Okay, that that's could definitely be true, a joke. Though. No, that person's joking, aren't they? Well, his name's Nuck Chorman too, so maybe. I, I don't think <laughs> someone seriously wrote that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. So, yeah. I think people with a really childish sense of humour would have found that I think the thing that, that really funny that I'm like uh about it is because they obviously 
made the film or wrote the film were like, okay, we just need to make this more aimed at children. I find the things that do land in Scooby-Doo are the bits which I think only adults would really like understand yeah. because they're... there were some moments that I laughed out loud. I'm not gonna lie. Me too. Yeah. But like because there's bits where they're, you know, they're taking the piss. Yeah. But yeah. like you wouldn't really get that as a as no, a child. It's so true. So it feels <laughs> like a lot of it did feel like a different film that was shoehorned <laughs> into a children's family friendly exactly caper. Yeah. So um so the caper continues and now they've got the Damon Ritus. They've got to work out what it's for. But basically How all... does she find out the Damon Ritus? You know, she Velma the, starts translating this the ancient script, and that's when her boyfriend pops up, so she can tell him about it in the bar. My one of my favorite lines in this whole film is when they uh, split up to go and focus on their different bits, and Daphne goes, "I'll go look up Colts on the net. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go research it on the net." And it's like <laughs> now we would just say, "I'll look it up." Or I'll, Google, I'll it. Google it. We wouldn't. <laughs> it's so <laughs> it's so dated to have that distinction. Yeah, it's so true. I actually found that very funny as well myself. Um, and there were there were loads of bits that, that I guess we know on. like that the film is meant to be at least in the two thousands because you wouldn't really be looking things. Yeah, up you on couldn't the have the net then, could you? Then, so unless it's set in twenty twenty. Um. Yeah, because like other things I noted about this film that I think are quite uh, kind of um, typical of the time and feed into what I'm calling its mim- mimetic qualities, because there's a lot of like one-liners or like, do you know what I mean? And apparently there are memes on the internet of Melvin Dew, so we can find them. Um, but there's a lot of like misplaced slow-mo. So like right. scenes being in slow motion where like, kind of don't really know why um <clears throat> but yeah so Velma manages with her brilliance and genius to decode the Damon Ritus and sort of realizes this is a thing of great power she decodes the da- demon Ritus whatever it's called uh but she's doing it in a busy bar full of people and our friend Nagu the uh fire breathing conspiracy theorist pops his little head up and starts playing the piano <laughs> Which is a... A nice subversion yeah, of what we were expecting. Exactly. I thought he was going to try and attack her. But then, of course, it does all go down and the uh, monsters appear and start attacking. And I can't really remember what happens. I think, like, De- uh, Velma and Fred both get captured. Yes. By the monsters. By the monsters. And Shaggy, Mary Jane, and Scooby-Doo Scooby. and Daphne are free. But don't they go on a... Is that when they go on a little chase? Yeah. On the motorbike? And yeah. And then Scooby sees Mary Jane. I think, yeah, that's the next day. That's so, the next so day. So they fall okay. asleep on the beach inexplicably. We can only assume too much partying. Yeah. Um, and they wake up in the morning, like, what's happened? And this is when Sugar Ray make their appearance. So <laughs> they come back to what looks like a absolutely lit party. And Freddy is embracing his role as a demon and really going for it, telling the whole crowd his great stories um but he's clearly you know not himself and we see Velma as well she's kind of she's got a sexier look going on she's got a deep plunging v-neck instead of her nun-like polo neck attire um and she really is a very gorgeous girl honestly I was just staring at her I thought I was going to be so obsessed with Sarah Michelle Gellar 
that I think it's staring at Velma. She really, um, I don't know, like, in 2000 and thin, as you called it, <laughs> um, that like those kind of that kind of curvy figure, like, yeah. just wasn't really being celebrated. So yeah, but she she's hands down way sexier. Yeah. In fact, if I was Sarah Michelle Gellar, I'd be worried about how much chemistry Velma and Fred had in this movie. So it was a real tension between them. Anyway, Sam doesn't agree. Uh, oh, that's right, because before they get kidnapped, Velma gives um, her friend, unnamed friend, a lowdown about the history I of the gang. I was just about to mention yeah. that. Yeah. So Sam, tell us about that. So we have kind of a rose tinted flashback where it's very colorful and we see the scooby gang in their prime in their earlier days and they're going in the mystery van and they're in the very much like 1960s hippie um world um driving down an open road lots of fields and they're having a great time but then someone comes up and destroys the love. What does she say? Every family has a black sheep or something or a, a loose cannon. Yes. And this is really interesting, okay? Because One I... that pisses on you, apparently. <laughs> Do not urinate on Daphne! So, <laughs> scrappy-doo, right? And this is another thing that I found really interesting to... Because when I was watching it, especially given the ending, I was like, is this like a inside joke about how shit Scrappy-Doo was and how much everyone hated him and he had to be cut? Yeah, because fans hated him, didn't they? Yeah. Um, so initially, though, they loved him and he was brought in to save the show because the ratings were flagging. And then they were like, oh, we've got this great idea. We've got this new character, Scrappy-Doo. He's Scooby's nephew. He's super cute. He's a little feisty guy. But it turns out Scrappy-Doo. he's... Scrappy-Doo! <laughs> and his tagline, his little... Um, what he says before he beats people up, apparently, is, I'm going to rock you, then suck you, then, I can't even remember the rest, but I got stuck after that because it, it's, like, <laughs> Russell Brand had this bit about how fighting talk could end up sounding really sexualized. Mm. It's like, ooh, I'm going to get you. Ooh, look at you there. And, like, it's just, there's something re- weirdly about it that can be sexualized in quite a funny way because it's like you're meant to be being really um, intimidating and I think that might be what Scrappy is a victim of here that and his small man syndrome yeah because in comparison you have Scooby who's really big but very docile and uh, like wouldn't harm a fly yeah and then there's Scrappy who's this little one who just wants to beat everything up and cause a raucous. Yeah. Um, but w- we see that Scrappy came in between the gang and kind of caused this friction, which later um, we see... Uh, Ended with them being disbanded, yeah. yeah. With, um, them being disbanded. And then we see, yeah, Scrappy urinates on Velma. For m- no, Daphne, because Fred says was he's Vel- marking oh, yeah, his territory. Okay. Which is very clear in this flashback that, that Daphne and Fred look like they're together, which I think right. is interesting, because maybe maybe she was sick of being weed upon. And so they went to, was it Coolsville? <laughs> Coolsville High was where they met. She was the coolest girl in Coolsville High. Yeah, so they, they've known each other since high school. And well, I'm not really sure how old they're meant to be. Mm. They were all like 26 when they made this film, which I think is apart from Shaggy, 
which I think is super fun because can you imagine how fun that set must have been? Yeah. Especially before they cut out all the R-rated stuff and had to CGI out the cleavage. <laughs> I think it's also, it's funny because at the time, yeah, the no teenagers played teenagers in <laughs> these films. So they were all played by 26-year-olds. Um, and it's, I think this well, film... Shaggy was like 31. This film is quite good because it kind of plays into that. It like embraces the fact that they're, it's ridiculous that yeah. they're adults playing teenagers. Yeah, yeah. And like as if they just went off for two years and they came back together, but they, they met in high school a couple years back. Yeah, so, so we get the story from Velma that... I do have a question. So I yeah. think it's fair for us to kind of reveal the ending yeah, at this point. Yeah. Did you, when you saw, I mean, you've seen the film before, yeah. but when you saw the flashback, was it like instant to you that who the villain would be? I actually remembered even before that when I was thinking about Rowan Atkinson, because I was like, he's definitely the villain, but there's something about it. Right. And then I remembered. Oh, well, and then as it was starting to come back to me, though, I was just blocking it out and trying to enjoy the movie still, because I was like, if I remember everything... You know, I need to keep up some suspense. You're right, but I think the suspense is hard to keep up oh, when yeah. they just throw in this flashback. And it's like, why are they mentioning? <laughs> like, it's... I mean, either it's a red herring and, like... No, it's because um, the guy asks her why they ended up splitting up. Yeah, but for the film writers to introduce Scrappy-Doo just, like, as a footnote... Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. a bit ridiculous if it's not gonna, you know, Pan out into something. Do you, think, do you think halfway the through end? they didn't even know? That probably. that's how it was going to end. They probably were like, oh yeah, who's the villain again? Oh yeah, you mentioned Scrappy-Doo earlier. Rowan Atkinson so. was like, absolutely not. I will not be the villain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So so we get this story and we, we get to understand a bit more that like uh, Scrappy is part of the reason, clearly, or she wouldn't have brought it up, as you right point, rightly point out, part of the reason the gang broke up. Um, other than their huge egos getting in the way of their working relationship, which I think was a big part of it. Yeah, do, in the original, Fred isn't so much of an egotist, right? Well, that's something that's exaggerated in this film, I felt, unless I just remember But I think the all their characteristics are exaggerated. Mm, but I can't remember that. I just remember him being like a pretty boy, not necessarily... No, he was so... well. When we get into the theories, you'll see mm, why okay. I know that that's not true. Because I, I agree, I would have remembered it the same way, but these theories are also based on the cartoon. Well, mostly based on the cartoon. Um, so, yeah, then what's the next kind of plot point? Oh, yeah, so uh, all three, Daphne, Fred, and Velma, have now been captured. Um, so it's just sh up to Shaggy, Scooby, and Mary Jane, who you should never bring along in a crisis situation. <laughs> um, well, definitely not to get yourself... Riled up. Yeah. <laughs> so um, they find themselves trapped in a barn with all these sort of zombies trying to attack them. Yeah. Because um, Sugar Ray turn evil, and it turns out they, they literally get chased by Sugar Ray uh, on a quad bike that they conveniently find, or Rike, as Scooby calls it, because um, that's another joke that they throw in. Rikes. Yikes. No. Rikes. And suddenly they've jumped off something and the bikes are like flying through the air. And Scooby can ride a bike as well as being a dog and CGI'd. Um, Very <laughs> And also a grandma. <laughs> also a grandma in disguise, yeah. So then you get a, a good one-liner. We've got a hanger on. One of the guys won't get off their bikes. They eventually turf him loose. But 
well, you t- you tell us what happened, Sam. Like, this is a pretty scary moment for Scooby. So at this point, uh, Scooby sees Mary Jane, and Mary Jane reveals herself to be possessed by a demon. So the mask slips. The mask slips in a weird display by the <laughs> demon of like ripping off the face, which you. I why the demon would just want to taunt Scooby and then just leave it at that. I don't know what the demon's yeah, motivation is. So basically are. I think that the reveal maybe explains partly why Isla Fisher has been hired as like a special um kamikaze sort of oh not kamikaze, what's the word? Trojan horse demon. Yeah. Because she's sent in and she has a much bigger scope than most of the other demons. They just kind of have to march. They do a fantastic uh, choreographed dance routine, but <laughs> but they don't really do much else. Um, <laughs> but she, she has a specific She's got a role, mission, yeah, yeah. Um, to distract Shaggy so that Scooby is vulnerable, I presume. Um, but that's never really explained. Uh, <laughs> perhaps one of the things they they decided to cut. Um, so then, uh, so they so Shaggy gets to this sort of cave where. All the, all the souls of the poor college kids on spring break are being held in a big cauldron. And it sort of looks like they're all little kind of sperm under a microscope swimming around together in this cauldron, right? Did you get that vibe? I don't know. Yeah, the great CGI. <laughs> so we've got the tiny little faces that represent their soul conveniently. It's a good thing that the soul wasn't just like a different, slightly different colour vapour. <laughs> Or like, you know? <laughs> it looks so bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Shaggy realises he can literally delve into... I mean, it made me think of the Pensive from Harry Potter, if I'm mm. honest with you. And I know that's giving it too much credit. That similarly, I did think of Yeah. So in he dives, pulls out a few heads, happen to be his friends. And he figures out that he can sort of catapult them, and let them go, and they'll fly back as quickly as they can to as near as possible to their original body which which is very easy it's just so simple i i almost think like they designed that (laughs) for the video game (laughs) add-on that that inevitably (laughs) came after a 2002 film very good theory (laughs) i like it yeah so so the the heads um fly back to their bodies velma's discovers as it re-enters her Again, this is a horny movie. Yeah, well, the body swapping is oh. always. I mean, the always whole movies have been made out orgies. of body body swapping, haven't they? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but I think that I think they made the heads this way to deliberately uh, shoehorn in a body swapping scene yeah, because that was 100%. so classic. Um, and oh, isn't it just so funny? Um, sarcasm off. Uh, so the Velma's head obviously is very clever flies back to her discovers that the monsters are like day walkers they can't be in the sunlight they die which is also really convenient yeah and that's why they need the human skin it's almost like they they were like to a researcher okay how can we get all these plot lines to work and they went on like Lovecraft's like Wikipedia page or something, <laughs> or Doctor Who. They watched loads. Yeah, of Doctor, Doctor Who. Who. But it's like just a really bad amalgamation of horror different tropes. horror tropes, and and campy horror as well. And all just to 
mold the to stick the plot together like with PVA glue. It's but isn't that every episode of Scooby Doo? Let mm. that question hang in the air. Um, so there. So yeah, as we say, then we've got these heads flying around. They're eventually finding one another. Um, of course, somebody inevitably ends up in the wrong body. Fred ends up in Daphne's body, which leads to the worst joke of the movie, which yeah. is. I can look at myself naked. Um, I I personally <laughs> didn't like that coming from Fred. Yeah, um, me Not because I'm like some precious Fred fan, but I just felt that like Fred actually wouldn't have yeah. done that. No, he's too clean cut. Yeah. And it was cheap. Yeah, very cheap. Like when he said, dorky girls like you turn, turn me on too or something to Velma. Did you not? Yeah, I did see that. Okay, that was also a kind of jarring line that just made me feel like, surely... Yeah, he's not a sex pest. Like, that's just not something you can add on to his character. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It seemed very... I don't know. It was a dig, I think, maybe at Freddie himself. Freddie Prinze. True. Junior. Um, Not Freddie Prinze Senior. Don't want to defame him. A lot of this film is very dated. It almost feels yeah. like it came out longer than 18 years ago, even though it's not. Really That's, a long time, <laughs> That's a long that, time. That's a long time. And I think you feel that. So, yeah, like getting towards the end then, they're kind of back in their bodies. They come up with a plan. They're going to use a massive disco ball in, you know, an act of fabulousness to kill all the creatures who are all gathered for this ceremony where um, Rowan Atkinson dressed like a um, romantic from the bands in the 70s, like all the frills is going to absorb the souls with the help of Nagu, but funnily enough, not uh, Voodoo Maestro. I don't think he is ever revealed to be in on the plot. I I think he was just living his life and yeah. this all has happened around him. Yeah, he's just trying to like escape the demons and maybe he turned to Voodoo. Maybe it is mismatched Voodoo, like he's just Googling it on the net. Yeah, They like, didn't have YouTube then, I don't think. Voodoo is his way of coping, maybe even it might not even be a fantasy world that he escapes to yeah it's deep i don't know i just feel like there's more to voodoo maestro than this film gives him i think he needed i like to think he's still yeah i like to think he's still living on spooky island to this day making great chicken or whatever um so so yeah it kind of climbed this the, the movie climaxes almost quite literally really in the gang managing to uh chuck one of the goon henchmen into the vat of sperm and tip it it's all protoplasm over the floor. actually I, sorry i had to double check that <laughs> protoplasm. although i don't actually think that is what protoplasm is i i don't think isn't protoplasm do you mean ectoplasm it should be ecto no but it is called in the film they call it protoplasm that's just to try and make it sound more sciencey i yeah, reckon i i'm pretty sure protoplasm isn't that's not the purpose of protoplasm. <laughs> Can anyway. you imagine if you just woke <laughs> up and you were in that pool as a floating head? Do you how think? Would you, how does that feel? And I mean, they never actually mention the term soul in this. Yeah. But I guess it is meant to be like. They do. They say he needs a pure soul. Oh, do they? Obviously, it believes in the Cartesian philosophy <laughs> that we are a body and a soul as two distinct things. <laughs> Something I don't necessarily subscribe to, but. Uh, so there's the whole uh, cave is filled with these college kids who have been taken over by demons and yeah. they do a dance ritual 
which is very very white people dancing oh my god it is <laughs> so white people dancing have you seen that video of white people doing a dance like a beyonce song <laughs> oh my god it's hilarious sorry oh my goodness it's hilarious uh and it, it just this scene was that all over but what i really liked about it was that there's no way this scene though could actually have been one of the self-aware ones that knew that how stupid and bad that looked <laughs> do you know what i mean because the world wasn't woke enough then to openly mock white people dancing as much yeah also it was just such a thing of the time yeah for um white people to gather and do a, a choreographed routine like the macarena honestly it looks like the macarena and like white people to go on holiday in their <laughs> kind of appropriative beach clothes yeah. with those um, like shell necklaces oh. or like the chokers yeah. um, that you'd buy in like River Island uh, or like Hollister maybe. Um, but oh, yeah, okay, I found the theory. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, um, oh God, I can't remember how you spell say his name. Lacan, Lacanian. Lacanian psychoanalysis so it was sort of like um, anthropology psychoanalysis but it's this theory about nostalgia that it necessarily can never represent what truly happened because the way that we build our memory has to be distinct from the experience because the experience is impossible to record and that's why we have to build a memory of it which I find is quite interesting in application to this film because it's literally like they were making a film for the memory of Scooby-Doo, you know? Right. Like yeah. entirely reliant on tropes and canon and references. That's why I think it feels so mishmash in a way because it's not, there's not much creative about it at all. It's almost like when... But it can't be, can't be true to the original experience people had, so maybe it will always be disappointing to pe them. People of our parents' generation it's a cliche that they will always say, oh, well, you know, we didn't actually have worlds as originals. It was just an advert created for us. Yeah, uh, yeah. To say that that we had them as kids to, like, create nostalgia. At this point in the podcast, we decided to reach out to our dad to hear what his views and memories of watching the film were. Hi, Colin. No, 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 wait. Hello, Samuel. What's the, what's the problem? It's no no problem. We're just recording a okay. podcast. We wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Like what? Um, do you remember when we went to see Scooby Doo when we were younger? When we went to see who? Scooby Doo the movie. Scooby Doo, oh, yeah. where are you? Where am I? No, that <laughs> that was the name. Where anyway, Scooby Doo. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever yeah, watch Scooby-Doo as, um, as a child? Did you ever watch the cartoon? Um, yeah, a few times. Did you feel disappointed by that movie? Did it, like, did it represent yeah, the cartoon? What, what were you disappointed about? Do you remember? I think it was just um, uh, pure, um, not particularly in keeping with the um, intent of the original series, right? Ah, okay. That's interesting, yeah. Because obviously we had a different, for us, maybe the movie is more memorable than the cartoons in some ways. But we do remember you getting angry about the fart scene in the cinema. Um, and we both found it to be distasteful on a rewatch, so. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. I think it was totally unneeded. Yeah. But you don't really, I think what they were trying to do was to say, oh, I'll tell you what the funniest scene 
Oh, interesting. I don't know what Have that you ever is. Seen no. Oh well, I recommend Blazing Saddles. Okay, what's it about? It's a western. Oh, and and there's a fart scene. And yeah. there's a fart scene. Yeah, of some very well-known fart scenes. Did you enjoy that one? Well, it was probably more in keeping with the, the film. I see. There so was, there was, there was, it uh, wasn't gratuitous. It wasn't, no, it wasn't it, it made it sense with... Part with the scene because they were eating beef. <laughs> Whereas you felt this was just a cheap add-on. There was context. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, Do you um, have any other comments about Scooby Doo the movie? Um, apart from it sort of being intellectually challenging. <laughs> I just thought it was a shame because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's obviously an adventure film. Yeah. But I just thought they just went for the lowest compliment. It wasn't like the... well directed, wasn't well written, and the acting was pretty poor. So, yeah. There you go. Okay. That's, yeah, that's really, it really helpful. Well, that's we don't need Mark Commode. <laughs> there you go. He literally hit the nail on the head of how I felt he would feel about it, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Like, that really came across at the time. Um, but yeah, so uh, <laughs> before that, we were saying that, um, as Lacan pointed out years ago, that the film kind of creates a nostalgia for a world that never really existed, a reality that had already been created in people's minds. And clearly disappointed some of the old folks who used to enjoy the cartoon um so uh yeah then we have the final sequence daphne shows off her fighting skills which i really enjoyed that was a real buffy throwback yes but she, i mean she was just being buffy yeah, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and when he said lowest common denominator that kind of makes sense because they had her fighting the hugest man in the film which is a sort of joke mm. to be like, oh, she's so tiny, but she's so strong. Um, so she releases the... They didn't have to pay for her to do any training. Uh, what did you think they were thing. singing when they were dancing? I can't really remember. What, it was what like, did you think? I swear at the end they're like, and what of you? Or like, hooba dooba hooba do I don't know. It's really strange because I don't feel like it can mean anything, but maybe it's an ancient chant... Because nobody really explains where they got the Damon Rotors, like how um, the villain knew how to use it and deploy its weird soul-sucking magic. Yes. It's like soul-sucking, soul-spitting, isn't and it? And how long has that been a presence on the island for? That's kind of weird. So maybe they were demons of the island re resurrected and they had to go to that specific island. Yeah. And that's why Voodoo Maestro's so mad because he's been maybe like protecting the island with Voodoo or like, you know, not engaging with the monsters but rowan atkinson's accent uh, rowan atkinson's character sorry he was surely oh yeah he bought the island yeah. first yeah so because uh, i spoke about it earlier but um we see that rowan atkinson has been kept in a hole under the ground yeah and he comes out all disheveled with his big old beard and we're thinking oh how did he possibly survive maybe had some fun-sized mars bars in there um, like Mad Eye Moody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's set. a classic, um, yeah, hostage situation. Somebody a who. A reveal at the end. Which but. allows the character to retain their um, integrity and dignity and wholesomeness. Mm -hmm. So maybe Rowan Atkinson demanded that and he had to make up for Scrappy Doo halfway through. Because what we find out is that 
he was indeed in a mask and it's Scrappy-Doo inside a robot. Yeah, I quite liked the bit when it was a robot because I feel like that's something that wasn't really done in the TV series. <laughs> so when um, I was watching... But then it wasn't a robot. Yeah. A dog. I think that might have happened, though. Oh, okay. I feel like any scenario, given how many Scooby-Doo there is, like... Yeah. That's but um, I was watching a reaction video earlier and when they ripped the mask off and it was a robot, one of the guys was like, I always knew Mr. Bean was a tool of the British government. <laughs> and uh, I thought, wow, that would be a, such a shit tool. Like, what's he going to do? Mr. Bean, I mean. Anyway, okay. <laughs> oh, I guess I he'd be Johnny a, English. I mean, he should have um, been a lizard, really. Yeah, yeah. But he wasn't. He was a tiny dog. Uh, within a kind of Dalek robot situation. I do think there was some Doctor Who influence here. I'm not going to lie to you. But it would have been the the original Doctor Who. Well, maybe Rowan Atkinson brought those ideas along. Maybe. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, we find out there's Scrappy and he's super angry and then he, like, takes a huge fucking dose of these souls. He injects straight into his heart a fuck ton of soul sperm. And the effects of, I don't know, heavy. works, I don't know. He just gets pumped up like he just done a load of, like, human growth hormone. How, I don't understand how people's souls can make you, I guess it's like vampires, maybe? Yeah, I think it's that type of energy zapping. But he needs the pure soul, which is only, it seems, contained within Scooby-Doo. Which is a bit insulting to the others. Mm, but they all have issues. That's they what, that, And I think that's one of the messages of the film is that like their flawed human characters with Scooby is like a kind of moral um, light in the dark tunnel of Spooky Island yeah. and life. But the, the way it's a very convoluted way for Scrappy, who is Scooby's <laughs> cousin, to... Or nephew, sorry. Put it this way. I always think of the Sherlock Holmes... Or like, um, oh, it's one of those physicists as well. The simplest explanation is usually the correct one. Or I think Sherlock says, like, remove imp- the impossibilities and you'll be left with what happened. There's no way even Sherlock Holmes himself would have been like, oh, it's really logical that a tiny cartoon dog would build a robot and a massive empire of goons um, and start abducting people's souls and injecting them into himself. It's a automaton. Yes. But he does some things apparently like scratching behind his ears and like acting like a dog in oh. parts of the movie that are I, quite I subtle nods. That. Yeah. So Sherlock might have picked up on that. But I still think a dog hiding within a very high level, in fact, impossibly good automaton. How did he build that facsimile, like that body? Well. <laughs> now we should move on yeah. to the conspiracy theories because there's one <laughs> i think you'll really good. like so this is one that um i've used a website called looper.com and they've got all the scooby-doo theories that will make you see the characters differently um so quite a few of those <laughs> quite a few of theirs you'll be glad to know are picked up from reddit and there's somebody called random dog and that's uh, zero for the second o who was talking about an apocalyptic theory in 2014. And so he theorizes that the America that Scooby and his humans inhabit and drive through while solving mysteries 
is not the same America that exists in our world. Mm. And in this alternate history, the United States suffered an apocalyptic economic collapse. And the three points he points to are these. First, the fact that in almost every episode is set in a rundown hotel or an abandoned theme park or an unused airfield. And I suppose we kind of circumnavigate that in this movie with that Mr. Madaveris is like independently wealthy. And this mm. is clearly like a self-backed business venture. Also, the flights have to be like owned by this mm. guy. It's like there's maybe, but maybe this is more of a world of uh, more of a... Uh, well, this is the the post recession. Yeah, so maybe this is more of a oligarchy. Yeah, I think it could be an oligarchy. That is true because how else would Scooby have got away with going on the plane in that outfit? Yeah. Um, and so then the second he points out, random dog that is, that villains in Scooby Doo are usually after money. Yet simultaneously are also usually scientists, engineers, or entrepreneurs, like people who are able to invent these elaborate schemes and costumes made of expensive materials. So, like, why, what's up with those guys? Why are they so wacky? Um, and third and finally, there's Shaggy and Scooby's insane eating habits. Random dog posits that this is because Shaggy literally can't afford separate food for himself and Scooby, so they eat the same food and they eat as if they don't know where their next meal is coming from. Because they don't. I mean, it's a compelling theory. <laughs> well, they're talking about they could have a Scooby-Doo meets Mad Max mashup with this sort of uh, I mean, it's also, I think, to add on to that, the fact that they kind of travel across America in a van yeah. and they don't seem to have any in the cartoons at least they don't have another form of income yeah. they don't really have any other income or possessions or maybe they get some money from the oligarchs yeah. if they work on their side perhaps but then that's quite mad maxian because in yeah. mad max it's just so you like, think they're mercenaries yeah they've or um who are people who do stuff like for the law but they're not connected to the state like v vigilantes vigilantes, like vigilantes yeah yeah that's an interesting theory so i quite liked that one it's a little bit dark um the even darker one is that they're all dead um and scooby is a demon like a, a mephistopheles type character guiding them through the underworld um and the mystery machine is their tomb <laughs> just ridiculous i mean it could and work in this they film. have to drive around and solve the mysteries to atone for their sins that could work in this film with the the demons so um here's like the the theory going into a bit more depth so more than most the purgatory theory this is from luca takes liberties with the scooby gang's personal info its uncredited writer tells us that fred was a womanizing bullying sociopath Daphne was vain and used sex to get what she wants. Just going to say there, um, unnamed person, that's quite sexist because, yeah, anyway. Uh, Velma was too interested in academics to pay attention to her friends and family, and Shaggy was a drunkie who died of an overdose. And possibly a draft dodger. Oh, yeah, so the, another theory is that they're all trying to escape the Vietnam draft, and that's why they're driving around <laughs> solving mysteries. But, I mean, Velma and Daphne, they weren't. Um, I don't know. Maybe they're just. Maybe they dress up. Maybe they dress up as women. Maybe they're trans. Uh, not transgender. Transvestite, I guess, is what you yeah. call it, isn't it? Um. And maybe Scooby's 
the man in a suit in makeup. Oh, like that weird TV show. <laughs> Maybe um, oh, I like they're furries, Scooby and Shaggy. <gasps> they're a furry couple. That's interesting. I, I if you don't know what fairies are, look them about, up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, you heard it here first. So then Luther continues. This is probably one of my favourites and also quite dark, though, which is that... <laughs> so this user called Radman with three two Ds um, argued that the personalities found in Scooby-Doo are like elements of a religious cult. So Fred is the charismatic and manipulative leader. Daphne is the groupie, um, so you know the person who's completely under the leader's control. Velma's a so socially awkward teenager who's fallen into this cult because uh, Daphne and Fred are attractive and she feels accepted, which is a, a cult trope. Kimmy. And Shaggy is the curial so uh, like the serial killer known as David Berkowitz, a.k.a. the son of Sam, believes the dog is, a dog is talking to him, which is what some of son of Sam said in his defence. After he went on the shooting spree, he was like, oh, this dog was talking to me, saying I had to shoot them. So I, I thought this was quite interesting if you think about them as like a cult, because cults do create an alternate reality for their members. And the charismatic leader does purposefully put the cult uh, members into a state of like non-questioning, non-critical thought. And to also create um, enemies. Yeah, like us and them. Yeah, so they say they need we're, the we're fighting fight. for this cause. Um, interesting. That's the one maybe you were going to talk about. What? The... That they're on drugs. Yes. So one of the most common theories is that Shaggy and Scooby are on drugs. And so this film that we've just discussed obviously has a lot of references to them being stoners. Um, and perhaps the most obvious clue is the constant hunger for Scooby snacks uh, <laughs> that the pair express. So some think the cravings for snacks come from munchies, which, if you don't know, are the, the huge appetite you have after smoking weed. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awful. <laughs> Others think the drugs are the snacks. <laughs> so, like, Scooby snacks could be some kind of code for... Meth. Meth, yeah. Or crystal, crystal meth. Or maybe just edibles. No, it would have to be something addictive, because they have... Okay. Not, they, they can... They literally do anything for them. That's true. Yeah. Maybe just a drug that doesn't exist in our universe, or that we don't I know about. The, a drug that's cross species <laughs> there are cultural cues like the psychedelically colored van and shaggy speech pattern and slang and th this is something that the film really plays into yeah um and then also shaggy's constantly talking to a dog <laughs> um which is really normal in this universe uh other theorize that scooby doesn't really talk at all but that shaggy's hallucinating scooby speech while others think most of what happens in the show is nothing but a drug hallucination so it could all be so i did think that about DMT, this film mushrooms like this film could exist in a universe where the beginning bit where we see them cooking eggplants from that point on is all a trip so it wasn't eggplants it was mushrooms exactly oh. but from that point on they're tripping i did think that that's crazy no but that that could definitely be it because that is the because the fact that so much of it really doesn't make sense. <laughs> and also, like, maybe they're, they're tripping about their lost friendships, and that's something that they 
So maybe they just went over the edge on whatever it is they're taping. And then they're also imagining kind of... Wait, does Scooby exist then? I think Scooby exists, but not as we know him. I think Scooby could just be like a typical dog in the universe we know. Right. And then when he's tripping... um, He looks human. He looks human. So, um, so another one of the things I found out about this film, like we mentioned earlier, about its R-rated cut, and this information is credible because it actually came from um, John Gunn, who was the writer of Scooby-Doo, and people might know him from Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. So you can see how his style has really developed, because I think there's definitely a play on that sort of one-liner punchline thing in this movie. It just doesn't, it's not highly successful he spoke about how um he actually looks back on this movie with a lot of fondness because he said that even though at the time um <laughs> even though at the time uh, even though now a lot of people slate this movie he actually remembers making it fondly because it was really fun and i think that does come across to be fair that it, this must have been a really fun movie to make with that kind of set although <laughs> i did say we me and my sister talked about this after we watched it it does kind of feel like it's all shot in a studio Yes. Which is a quite dated feel to it. Do you know what I mean? Like overlit. Overlit, like completely. But then maybe that's meant to make us think of a cartoon. And there is a lot of kind of play within a play references to it as well. Like the fact that behind the um, theme park, there's a whole another training center with all this like fake food for filming videos. That's like, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? That that kind of um, like when you look into a mirror and you can see yeah. for infinity, like the Russian doll, like that, like a Russian doll, exactly. Um, but yeah, he was just saying that there is uh, an R-rated cut of the movie that they had to like CGI out loads of the cleavage to get it to be put through. But um, I can't find him saying anything about what it actually contained, which I would love to. <laughs> uh, he says, I love the character of Scooby-Doo since I was a kid and I was excited at the prospect of making a live-action film with 2002's cutting-edge CGI technology and then in brackets, loads of exclamation marks. <laughs> yes, it was not exactly what we planned going out. I had written an edgier film geared towards other kids and adults and the studio ended up pushing it into a clean-cut children's film. And yes, the rumours are true, the first cut was R-rated and the female star's cleavage was CGI'd away. But, you know, such is life. I had a lot of fun making this movie, regardless of that. And I was also able to eat, buy a car, and a house because of it. <laughs> so, John Gunn, what a legend. I mean, it sounds like he's done well. And he's kind of blaming it on the studio. I don't know how this works, like, but me and you both definitely got the vibe that this was a heavily edited version of what it had started out as. I felt like there were 10 different versions of the <laughs> same film that exists. Just yeah. Because there's so many scenes which feel like there's meant to be another scene that should go with it, and it's there's an outtake. Yeah. Um, I feel like there Or, were, like, plot lines that run into nothing. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like they filmed so much more of the flashback stuff, because why would you have that whole set and everything just for that one scene with Scooby-Doo? Yeah. But like I said, it cost a lot to make, but it was successful in the box office as well. Um, here's a maybe this is a finding a final closing note. Um, British actor Eddie Izzard has called Scooby Doo and Shaggy the greatest characters in American literature, um, and he suggests they're a great way for Americans to make friends when they're traveling. Um, and so he sees them. He even compares them to to Falstaff from 
Shakespeare's Henry the Fourth and Fifth, perhaps. Cool stuff. He's he's and in a Merry few, Wives of Windsor. Yeah, yeah he pops kind up of a, a lot. Recurring character. He is, yeah, and, and just universe. just like Scooby Doo, really is. So yeah, apparently Eddie Izzard is a fan of Scooby Doo. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll leave you with that. I mean, overall, how did it hold up? I mean, they cut out the the lesbian kissing scene. I think it's quite bad that they cut that out because it was like too raunchy. When there is, I think there is a, another kissing scene, a, a heterosexual kissing. Scene. Yeah, and I think that, like you say, it's interesting that they labelled non. Um, heteronormative sex as immediately raunchy because the implication is that like the two girls are only doing that for the purpose of the male gaze but I mean I think they probably would have been in this film yeah so they would have been <laughs> they've been honest about and it at al- least right also maybe the idea that you would make these two iconic characters have a relationship not even you would never get a Shaggy and Fred kissing scene would no you? but I can understand why they would cut out both just because it does feel a bit sacrilege to the text yeah a dad wouldn't have enjoyed that (laughs) (laughs) i don't know maybe he would have but maybe uh, that would have made it more interesting for him so for me i actually watch this film and think there's a really good film in this film that we will never get to see yeah that i can see it like winked at or like it's there there's so many nudges there are moments there are moments and there is bits of it that like i say i do actually kind of admire looking back the way it manages to create um a storyline that's so simple you fill in all the gaps yourself and and end up with a really personal memory of it yeah well scooby-doo where Where are are you you? (laughs) um not on my team thank you (laughs)